Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 8 in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday, March the 27th. First, I'll be talking to Rahul Sood, Unicorn CEO and former GM of Microsoft Ventures. We'll discuss how Unicorn's upcoming experience launches will change the gaming landscape. Unicorn is an esports wagering and gaming company with investors including Mark Cuban, Ashton Kutcher, Elizabeth Murdoch and others. And then I'll be talking to economist Professor Sinclair Davidson about the government stimulus package and its shortcomings. But now let's talk to Rahul Sul. Okay, Rahul, now uh, Unicorn is an esports wagering and gaming company and uh, you have all sorts of investors from Mark Cuban and Ashton Kutcher and Elizabeth Murdoch among others. Uh, which is quite exciting, and you're launching a whole lot of new products. And what I particularly want to talk to you about is uh, you now have uh, cryptocurrency. Yes, we do. In fact, uh, we, we actually, it's not really now, we actually built our token economy back in 2015. But uh, we, we created it because it's, you know, our, our platform is really more about fan engagement than it is just about gambling. And we created a bunch of features on our platform where fans can earn tokens by connecting their video game accounts to the platform and playing games. 
Okay, but uh, it's done, and it's done through cryptocurrency. Correct. It's done with cryptocurrency. That's right. Now, wouldn't you have to actually go through a major audit to see how you handle things like uh, know your customer and anti-money laundry? Yes, we would, and we did. It took about a year for us to get a license. In fact, um, we're the only company in the world with a license from the Isle of Man that allows uh, for betting with uh, cryptocurrency and fiat currency on live sports, live esports, online casino, and our skill betting platform. They give us a license for all of it because of how we handle AML and KYC on the blockchain. How many years did it take to develop that? I mean, to, to actually go through all those audits and everything like that. Yeah, well, I mean, we've been uh, we've been in operation since 2014, and we've just we're, we're mostly a technology company. I mean, we're a tech company first, and we've been building out our technology ever since. So, it's it's been a t- it's been some time. Right. Okay. And what sort of technology do you use for it? For for our cryptocurrency, it's an it's an Ethereum based um, uh, token, and it's an Ethereum based blockchain. You know, our, our website is built on JavaScript. We have a we have a blockchain system that supports 9,000 transactions per second, because as you know, with live betting, you want it to be as 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 uh, quick as possible. So our platform supports 9,000 transactions per second. And then on our streamer betting platform, where users can watch their favorite streamers and bet on them, it uses um, uh, uh, a, a combination of AI trading bots. Uh, so they're they're basically robots that that do the, the 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 odds trading. It uses computer vision technology and uh, predictive analytics to come up with the odds. So it's pretty advanced stuff. How many countries uh, do you operate in? So so we we have um you know we have the ability to 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 operate in um in over in over thirty countries around the world uh, depending on the product. <clears throat> but you know to to be quite honest, we only got our license late last year and we've just been rolling out slowly. We have a skill betting product, which is completely legal in the U.S. in 41 states. And then we're operating in, in uh, different countries around the world, and we haven't done any localization at all. So we're still dealing with things like the languages and you know that sort of thing as we build the platform. Uh, so you solve two big problems on blockchain, don't you? One is the speed and the other is the accessibility. Yes, uh, we, we do. So we definitely solve the speed problem. I would say that we're we're working on the accessibility part. You know, we're we're trying to make it easy. We still get complaints that it's not easy enough. I mean, quite honestly, it's it's hard to to go out and get tokens and to understand things like private keys and security. But we're doing everything we can to make it easy for our customers. It's still not the easiest thing in the world, but it's definitely getting better. And now, uh, is there a prospect of uh, teaming up with licensed casinos to do crypto-based gambling in casinos? <laughs> That's a great question. So, so l- l- let me just say this: ever since um, you know the, the the launch of the streamer betting and the virtual betting platform that we built, which is very similar to, to what you would look at digital horse racing, um, ever since we we announced those things, I, I would say that the largest casinos in the world are now calling us, trying to find ways to partner with us. In the U.S., we think it's important because you know in order for you to get licensed in states for sports betting, you need to be uh, a local, you need to own a casino or be partnered with a land-based casino. So there are opportunities for us to work with casinos. I think it starts with first bringing in esports betting and building wagering experiences around games people love, and then eventually talking about cryptocurrency. You know, cr- cryptocurrency is something that they're still wrapping their heads around, but there is a natural fit in the casino for cryptocurrency. 
And I think most of them see it. They just don't know how to apply it. So we're here to help them do that. Uh, but one of, one of the issues, surely, is that the value of many of the tokens would have been falling with cryptocurrency. I mean, wouldn't that prompt investor pullback and lower crypto prices? Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that, that's an issue. There, there's no doubt about it. But there's, you know, I think as, as adoption grows and as platforms grow, then, then you'll see that that won't be much of an issue, that there'll be less volatility. You have to remember that in 2017, there was a huge bull market. You know, Bitcoin uh, surpassed 20,000 and everybody was getting into cryptocurrencies. And I think there were something like 2,000 cryptocurrencies created. And clearly we were in a bubble and it was meant to blow up and it did. But going forward, I think what you're going to see is most of those tokens that were created in 2017 will fail. So I, I would say pro probably 97% of them will disappear. And then there's those that are sort of buried underneath a pile of rubble, and we're one of them. And I think you're going to see that Unicorn is is uh, in a very good position to kind of build that uh, that space. So what could really happen in crypto is that uh, companies like yours that deliver depth and usage would grow. Exactly. Yeah, uh, d depth and usage, but, but more than anything, you have to remember with crypto, <clears throat> the people that are making the most money in crypto are actually exchanges um, right now. And, and that's not really a use case for crypto. Like just exchanging and trading is not a use case. It's the first use case and the biggest brands like Binance and, you know, Bittrex and companies like that are making the most money. But I think the second use case is going to be regulated wagering. And I think that we're far ahead of the market in that space. So, you know, give it a year or so. And I think you're going to see a, a completely different market. You must have an amazing R&D team. <laughs> we do. Uh, you know, that, that's uh, it's interesting. When we built the company, we... We, we started in Seattle, where I'm based, because I was with Microsoft before. And what we found was because Unicorn sits at the intersection of blockchain technology, uh, esports and video games and regulated gambling, we couldn't find all of this, the, the right people in the same building. So we actually opened up multiple offices. Most of our management team, our COO, our, our CFO, our head of product, they all live in Sydney. Uh, so we have an office in Sydney. Um, we have uh, most of our development team is in Berlin, uh, where there's a ton of blockchain talent there. So we have a development team in Berlin with satellite offices in Croatia and Poland. And then uh, we have our head of marketing is in New York. I'm in Seattle. And then we have a team in Las Vegas as well. How do you keep it all together? Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I've been a, a longtime entrepreneur. Um, pr prior to this, I was the, the global head of Microsoft Ventures. I started Microsoft Ventures. So I've been involved with multiple startups. I helped probably 300 or so startups raise money while I was at Microsoft. Um, and then prior to that, I was involved in multiple gaming companies. I actually started the world's first PC gaming um, hardware company called Voodoo PC that I sold to HP. Um, I've been involved in multiple gaming companies along the way. So this isn't new to me. Um, you know, and, and building a, a global company these days is much easier than it was, say, you know, 15 years ago when there wasn't the Internet. So, and of yeah. course, And of course, you have more investors. Oh, yeah. We have some great investors. There's no doubt. We have people like Mark Cuban and Ashton Kutcher, Sherry Redstone, Liz Murdoch. We have some great investors. And they, they would have pumped a fair bit into this uh, crypto venture, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back in 2014, we raised um, about $10 million. And, you know, since then, we've just been running. So we've been we've been, you know, building our business and, and uh, you know, knock on wood, we've been doing fairly well. But I think going forward, now that we've launched all our products and we have our license, um, you're going to see a different unicorn, um, you know, emerging. So, so what are your plans ahead? Well, the first thing is um, we're going to uh, start localizing in markets that you know we haven't 
really spent the time with local languages and things like that. So there's markets across Europe, there's markets in Southeast Asia, uh, Latin America that we want to go into, and it can't just be in English. We are we are continuing to make cryptocurrency more accessible. So you know we want to make UKG, uh, Unicoin Gold, more accessible, easier to get, uh, and easier to transact with. So we're currently working on a number of tools in that area. So those are sort of the two big things that we're that we're working on. And then, of course, we're, we're continuing hiring. Like we're hiring some of the best talent in the world. Um, you know, we hired the the, the number two at TabCorp. Um, he was the he was the uh, the COO at TabCorp, and now he's the COO of Unicorn. We hired the you know the best data guy that we could in this space. Um, we hired one of the best marketers that we could, you know, a CFO from William Hill. Like we've really been building a talented uh, team and we're continuing to add to that team. How do you find the talent? Oh, I, you know, it's, it's not hard. Uh, they come to us, uh, you know, when you're, when you're on the cutting edge of a business, that's, that's notoriously not uh, known for innovation, you know, people come to us, you know, if you think about, um, yeah, like I, I can answer this question in a number of ways, but probably the best way to answer it is just think about what's happening in Las Vegas where, you know, the slot machine business is sort of a, a dying business in Vegas because, you know, it's really only older people are using the slot machines. And so, you know, so so they try to innovate those slot machines by creating, um, you know, uh, newer slot machines with with Britney Spears themes and things like that. But it's not working. Still, only older people are using those machines. So so then they went down this path of trying to create skill based slot machines where you play these old video games that nobody knows or cares about, and they build wagering experiences around it. You know, and the fundamental difference between that and Unicorn's approach is we're building wagering experiences around games people love. You can bet on games like Fortnite, League of Legends, Dota, um, you know, Apex Legends, Halo on the Unicorn platform. You can't do that anywhere else. So that's, you know, that, that's why we find it so exciting. Well, Rahul, it's been fascinating talking to you and we'll be watching Unicorn with a great deal of interest. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. And now let's talk to economist Sinclair Davidson. Sinclair Davidson, the federal government has given $17.6 billion as a stimulus for the economy and uh, more is expected. Do you think it'll be enough? Uh, no, I, I think it is not enough. And at the same time, I think a lot of the money that they are spending is also being misdirected. Um, so if you have to remember, the, a, a government as a, um, as a political organisation has got political objectives as, as well as economic objectives. And some of the things that they have announced are very much more political than actually dealing with the crisis that we see in front of us uh, at the moment. So um, the $750 payments that they are making to pensioners and what have you, I think that money is going to be wasted. Um, not because pensioners don't necessarily need the money, but pensioners are in a position whereby they are guaranteed money at the moment anyway. There's actually a whole bunch of people who are not guaranteed money who are going to be losing their jobs, um, losing their incomes, who would probably do better with that money than, say, pensioners. Um, then the depreciation asset write-offs and the investment incentives, those money, um, the, that money also is, is not going to necessarily deal with the crisis that is before us. So a great deal of the expenditure is, is not really uh, crisis appropriate, and I, I think that is problematic. It's more political. 
Absolutely. Um, bearing in mind we are in the first quarter of the, of, of the year, so we're in the March quarter for GDP purposes. Um, that finishes at the end of this month, and then next month we start a new quarter. The definition of a recession in Australia is two consecutive quarters of negative growth, and even before the coronavirus or uh, the, the COVID-19 actually hit, people were expecting the first quarter to have negative growth. So what some of the things the government are doing is they're going to start rolling out money next month. Now that sounds all very plausible, but in actual fact that's in the second quarter. So they're actually trying to avoid Australia having a declared recession, which of course should not be their objective at the moment. The, the other payments, I mean, people are saying they should be targeting certain industries. Aviation would be one. I wouldn't be looking after the aviation industry first, but yes, um, aviation, tourism, hospitality, anything that involves lots of people, small business are the sorts of things we should, we should be thinking about. I mean, this morning I heard the news at my local gym where I go to that 25% of the members have, all, have already suspended their membership, which more or less means that that is a small business, 25% of his cash flow has suddenly evaporated. In the meantime, he still has expenses, he still has costs, he's got to pay rent, he's got to pay wages, and, of course, he's got to pay payroll tax on those wages. So um, if I were government, I'd be looking at things of doing away with, say, payroll tax for, let's say, the next quarter or the next few weeks. I would be thinking about saying to businesses, you don't have to pay over GST income to the tax office for the next quarter. So do things to actually stop businesses from having to pay out cash flow and do things to allow small businesses to maintain their existing cash flows. Those are the sorts of things we should be thinking about outside of the square as opposed to simply posting off checks to people who really don't need the money right now. Uh, certainly there, there are many, many small businesses which are going to be going under. Do you know I, I, I would imagine so, yes. And of course, bearing in mind, it's all very well saying you know, the economy should bounce back fairly quickly, and I expect it will, but businesses that have gone broke can't bounce back that quickly. So the idea is keep people in work and keep businesses um, out of bankruptcy. Those would be the, the prime objectives that I think the government should have in the next quarter. So the next package should consist of what? I would think uh, payroll tax relief. Of course, the, the challenge is that uh, payroll is a state government tax, not a federal government tax. There, I think the federal government can do one of two things. One, it can actually just pay the payroll tax itself. Or two, it can pressure the state governments into giving up uh, payroll tax for a quarter. I would be looking at GST relief. Um, I would be looking at uh, paying cash payments to businesses to keep people in so, for example, a lot of businesses are now sending their employees home for work from home. Now, um, some people can work from home very easily, some people can't. And I would consider giving a cash payment to those businesses that have sent their employees home, for example. Um, those sorts of things. Now, you can very easily determine, has, has a business sent their employees home or have they not? So, it, it's, those sorts of things are... are, are harder to, to, to scam or to rot as the case may be. I would not be looking at investment credits or depreciation rights off so all of that sort of stuff. That is an investment problem. Um, Australia has had an investment problem for the last 
five to ten years, I would say. I would not be looking at lowering interest rates. Um, the Reserve Bank have been trying to push on that piece of string for the last ten years. Um, that really hasn't worked. That is a different problem. Um, I think if government wants to use the crisis to address that problem, they should. But that is not the immediate crisis right now. The immediate crisis right now is actually keeping people in employment and keeping businesses' doors open. That is the, the, the solution to the problem now. What about uh, in the area of taxation? Can anything be done? Besides payroll tax. Well, I, I, and, and GST. I would and GST. The, 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 the GST, uh, um, just say to businesses, keep any GST income that you've received in the last quarter, you can keep it, rather than paying it over to, 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 to the tax office. Because bearing in mind what's going to happen is that money's going to go from businesses to the tax office, the government's then going to take it out of the tax office and give it back into the economy again. So keep the money in place is, is what I would be doing. Um, Yes, so those are the sorts of things I'd I'd really focus on the payroll tax issue uh, um, because businesses have to pay payroll tax irrespective of whether or not they they make a penny or not. Now, it's all very well saying to your employees, okay, well, work fewer hours and all this sort of stuff. That is still a huge burden on employment. And right now, keeping people in in employment is actually the big challenge that, that, that we should be thinking about. Um, of course, on the other side, I would also be uh, broadcasting, keep calm, think more carefully about targeted people staying at home. Um, this is a disease which impacts upon the elderly and the immunocompromised. Target messages at those sorts of people. Um, but, uh, but certainly, I, I think mixed messages coming out of the government, uh, certainly out of state and federal governments, the state government is saying, make sure you've got enough food in the house for two weeks. And the federal government are saying, uh, don't panic buy. Now, those are very much mixed messages. I, I think there needs to be a single message. And the other thing is, a lot of people are making comparisons with the global financial crisis. The global financial crisis was a demand shock to the economy. This is a supply-side shock to the economy. This is not a primarily economic problem. This is actually a public health problem that has got economic costs. And we haven't heard enough about that, bearing in mind, whenever there's a crisis, the government comes out and always says the economy is fundamentally sound. Um, which, of course, very often we know it just isn't. Um, in this particular instance, the economy is fundamentally sound. It's just as sound as it was last month. Is just that people can't go to work, uh, which means people can't go to work, they can't get goods and services moving. Um, so we, we were having a supply shock, a side shock to the economy, which is a very different animal to what we've seen before. The other issue, too, is, I mean, if you give people money, are they likely to spend it or would they save it? <laughs> well... We don't have a spending problem at the moment. Um, uh, if, if, if you've been to the, the shops like I have over the last few days, uh, you'll have seen all those empty shelves. Um, people are spending money. Um, people may even be borrowing to spend. I, I, I'm not quite sure, but people are definitely spending money. I think what we're going to find in a few months' time when the, the, the health scare is over, that people are going to look at their pantries and think, oh my goodness, what are we going to do with all this toilet paper? So I, I think that's going to be a challenge. Um, but we don't have a consumer spending problem at the minute. We actually have a working problem. Um, people uh, going to work, people not going to functions, people not going to events. And of course, bearing in mind, when we've got, what is it, 70 to 80% of the economy is services, um, services very often means interacting with other people on a face-to-face basis. And if you can't meet with people on a face-to-face basis, 70 to 80% of the economy has been disrupted. 
Well, the other issue too is that people, events are being cancelled and things like that, and you have the events industry will take a huge hit. And I'm, th- I'm thinking issues like arts, performing arts, uh, yes. uh, the Grand Prix, the AFL, they're yes. all going to take a huge hit. Even going to the pub um, is going to be problematic in the next while. I mean, we, we, we've heard stories about um, coming out of Europe where people are, are being ordered not to go to the pub, where restaurants are being closed down at 6 o'clock in the evening, this sort of stuff. Um, that, that is a huge uh, uh, impost on, on our economy because, bear in mind, that's where we spend most of our money and that's where most of us actually work. So how can we address that? Again, this is a case of making sure that A, people keep calm, um, B, people take reasonable precautions, but not over the top, um, and that we try and get over this crisis without too many people having lost their jobs, without too many businesses having gone out of business, without too many small businesses having gone out of business. Because remember, in the aviation industry, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, let's say Qantas and Virgin and Tiger are really suffering. These are large corporations with large amounts of assets who can borrow to tide themselves over. A lot of small businesses simply cannot borrow to tide themselves over. Um, A lot of small owners have got their homes and houses um, as collateral for their business. And and, and for them, their business closing their doors, um, even not opening every single day, is actually a huge, huge stress factor um, on their business and, of course, on their own personal health. Given that uh, there are forecasts that we are going to go into a recession, do you expect uh, the economy will bounce back? How long do you expect the recession will last for? I would have thought if, if the economy did, say, go into, into, a, into a recession, this would be a short, sharp recession. It would be a V-form recession, not a, say, W-form or a U-form recession, quite simply because the economy itself is not actually uh, in, in any serious difficulty. Yes, we do have investment problems. Yes, interest rates are too low, all this sort of stuff. But these are the same problems we had last month. Um, but more or less, I think as soon as people do go back to work and goods and services do start flowing again, uh, the economy will very quickly recover if it happens in the meantime that we haven't had too many businesses go under. Um, or if they have closed their doors, that they can very easily reopen their doors again. So I think this is a case of people being reasonable, understanding. The government can do things around uh, giving cash to businesses, keeping people employed. Um, there's been some talk of, of temporarily modifying insolvency laws. Um, that might be a good idea as well. I'm not quite sure what you could do there, but even if they said to the banking system, let's have some reasonable borrowing requirements, um, don't, don't foreclose, all these sorts of things. Um, these are things that can be done. But bearing in mind, for landlords, on the other hand, they also do need money themselves. You know? So it, it is going to be difficult. It is going to be tight for a while. Um, I'm kind of hoping that the panic will quickly subside. Uh, the longer the actual panic occurs, the longer and the greater the costs are in the economy and the longer it will take to recover. But I'm, I'm expecting a short, sharp recession if we have one. Well, Sinclair Davidson, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. So what's happening in the news? Well, the world will take years to recover from the coronavirus pandemic, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development has warned. Angel Gurria, OECD Secretary-General, said the economic shock was already bigger than the financial crisis. He said it was wishful thinking to believe that countries would bounce back quickly. Mr Gurria said a recent warning that a serious outbreak could halve global growth by up to 1.5% already looked too optimistic. While the number of job losses and company failures remains uncertain, 
Mr Gurria said countries would be dealing with the economic fallout for years to come. And more than a million Australians could be forced onto welfare by lockdowns to combat the coronavirus, which Scott Morrison warned has plunged the country into an economic crisis not experienced since the Great Depression. Thousands of people queued at Centrelink offices around the country on Monday as a shutdown of much of the hospitality sector put more than 300,000 jobs in jeopardy. And economists predict unemployment will reach 9.4% this year, or 1.22 million people, and the economy will shrink 3%, creating the worst recession most living Australians have experienced. A dozen leading economists have forecast the worst year for Australian businesses and workers since 1931 when many jobless slept in parks and relied on soup kitchens to survive. And dozens more companies have flushed their earnings guidance or pulled it all together as investors and directors struggle to grasp the full impact of the coronavirus. No fewer than 40 companies made coronavirus-related announcements to the ASX on Monday, almost doubling the number of profit revisions issued in the previous two weeks, as the stock market suffered another eye-watering fall. The downgrades came from a range of different sectors and industries, reflecting the way the crisis has ricocheted through every corner of the economy, both in Australia and around the world. As companies queued up to warn their investors about the bottom-line impact of the outbreak, they did so at a time when the true consequences of the pandemic are still largely unknown. So how did we get here? Well, Australia will gamble on an unprecedented $189 billion stimulus package to protect the nation from a looming recession, including cash payments of up to $100,000 for small businesses unsecured loans, wage subsidies and new welfare payments for the unemployed. Pubs, clubs, churches, cinemas, gyms, indoor sports venues, casinos and other non-essential indoor facilities closed across the country from midday on Monday as Australia's moved towards a national shutdown of non-essential services after the government unleashed a second economic rescue package taking the total response to almost $200 billion. Restaurants and cafes will only be permitted to offer takeaway and delivery services. Shopping centres, supermarkets, banks, pharmacies and hairdressers are among the businesses that will continue operating. Prime Minister Scott Morrison revealed another $66 billion in spending to help the Australian economy through the coronavirus pandemic. The second package brings a total spend to $189 billion, including $90 billion from the Reserve Bank, worth about 10% of the size of the Australian economy. It includes giving workers early access to $20,000 worth of superannuation funds if they fall into hardship due to the virus. The measures will double income support for those on JobSeeker, formerly New Start, more support for pensioners and carers, and grants of up to $100,000 for small and medium-sized businesses. The government's unprecedented stimulus package will give Australians early access to $20,000 from their superannuation if they face financial hardship due to the coronavirus pandemic. People struggling due to the fallout disease will be allowed to access up to $10,000 of their superannuation in 2019-20 and an extra $10,000 in 2020-21 without paying tax. The minimum superannuation drawdown requirements will be cut by 50% for the next two financial year, in a similar measure to that introduced during the global financial crisis. And the government is cutting deeming rates by 0.25%. A six-month coronavirus supplement of $550 a fortnight will be given to existing and new recipients of benefits including job seeker, youth allowance, parenting payment recipients, farm household allowance recipients and special benefits. This change will cost the government $14.1 billion. A $750 payment to those on social security and veteran income support from July 13 will benefit about 5 million people, of which half are pensioners. 
Treasury Josh Frydenberg said businesses will face relaxed rules around obligations under the Corporations Act, such as a requirement to hold general meetings in person and a higher threshold for creditors to issue statutory demands on, on companies. The package includes the creation of a coronavirus SME, that's smaller medium-sized enterprises, guarantee scheme to provide access to working capital for businesses to help them weather through the virus. And as businesses around the country face drastic reductions in trade and a forced shutdown, the government has substantially beefed up the sweep of grants and tax breaks it announced just two weeks ago. In a move with potentially far-reaching consequences, it also plans to change the rules on liquidation so businesses can stay afloat longer, even as debts mount. Small and medium businesses can access grants of up to $100,000 between now and September. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg said since the government announced its first stimulus package on March 12, it now expected the economic shock to be deeper, wider and longer. Tax breaks announced on March 12 will now be doubled, and the office has been extended to 30,000 charities and not-for-profits. Known as a boosting cash flow scheme, it is an incentive for businesses with cash flow up to $50 million a year to keep their staff. In another measure that reflects the expectation that businesses will struggle to stay afloat, the government is changing the rules for businesses going bust, whereas people owed money by a business can take, now take action to initiate insolvency or bankruptcy when they're owed $2,000. The threshold will be lifted to $20,000. Company directors will no longer be personally liable for trading while insolvent. The government is also guaranteeing up to 50% of loan amounts to businesses to ensure banks are still willing to lend as activity sinks to a near standstill. From early April, businesses will be able to apply for unsecured loans of up to $250,000 each, with no repayments for the first six months. In the first tranche of stimulus on March 12, the government announced that it would, will pay half of apprentice wages for nine months. As a result, Westpac estimates a deficit of 4.5% of GDP, or $90 billion, for this financial year, widening to a deficit of 8% of GDP, or $160 billion, for the next financial year. Parliament passed the package on Monday. Parliament won't return until August, as the Morrison government tries to limit sitting weeks during the coronavirus pandemic. Labor and the Greens failed in an attempt to have Parliament return earlier, saying the economic packages that passed on Monday would need tweaking. The idea that the government has just perfectly nailed every aspect of this $66 billion of new spending is absurd, Labor's shadow treasurer Jim Chalmers told Parliament. He said the opposition would need to scrutinise any new spending. But the revised calendar won't see politicians return until August the 11th. The budget has been pushed back to October 6, with the concession that things are moving so quickly, predictions about the state of the nation's finances over the next four years in May would be worthless. And the Prime Minister announced that new restrictions on social gatherings agreed by the National Cabinet meant that open homes and home auctions were banned. This will lead to a material slowdown in sales, but they will still continue unless the social distancing restrictions are extended further. This has material implications for state government revenues, some of whom rely heavily on stamp duty from home sales. And economists are warning the spread of coronavirus across Australia could see house prices drop 20%, and that will hit the banks. Consumer confidence has plummeted to its lowest level since Australia's last recession, as shoppers become panicked by the economic fallout from the coronavirus pandemic. The ANZ Roy Morgan weekly measure of consumer sentiment tumbled 27.8% through the past seven days to sit now just above its all-time low recorded in 1990, down to the level of the last recession. It is 17% below the bottom reach during the global financial crisis in 2008. 
Bank systems and call centres buckled under the weight of inquiries from customers in distress on Monday, with one major bank revealing call volumes were up as much as 10 times the normal level. Lenders of all sizes were scrambling to answer calls from retail and business customers to make good on promises to back them after tens of thousands of businesses across Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland were effectively ordered to put the shutters up from midday. A spokesman for ANZ said the bank was experiencing a 400% increase in volumes, while Bendigo and Adelaide Bank's online banking service suffered an unplanned outage from midday to around 4pm. And the banks have been forced to close a number of branches on a temporary basis, as staff scramble to deal with the early closure of schools and as foot traffic in certain areas plummets. Following the decision from the Victorian State Government to close all non-essential services and bring forward the term holidays, banks are being forced to allocate customer-facing staff to where they're needed most as families organise alternative childcare arrangement. Each of the big four banks are encouraging customers to use online banking or apps. They're also reinforcing the message that customers should practise social distancing at their branches and should not visit a branch if they're unwell. And Virgin Australia has stood down 8,000 workers, suspended budget subsidiary Tiger Air and temporarily granted 125 planes in its latest response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Virgin Australia said it was reducing its domestic capacity by 90% and suspending Tiger Airways domestic services effective immediately. After saying it would stop all international flying last week, the nation's second largest airline has now slashed domestic capacity by 90% as states close their borders. And makers of surgical protection wear, hospital disinfectants and hand sanitizers are dramatically scaling up production with the aid of the military to meet the urgent demand from government and health authorities as the number of coronavirus cases in Australia passes 2,000. Medcom, a small family business that manufactures surgical face masks on the outskirts of Shedden in Victoria, is at the vanguard of this push. The federal government has sent the army into Medcom's factory to help the company urgently lift production by at least tenfold. Medcon General Manager Stephen Cesar said by the end of this year, his small business of fewer than 20 employees and just two machines will be making 20 million to 30 million face masks a year, which he said would be enough to meet surging demand. In New South Wales, the country's biggest manufacturer of medical-grade disinfectant and hand sanitizer, the family-owned Whiteley Corporation in Newcastle, has more than doubled production over the last month, but warned it is running dangerously low on key raw materials, such as ethanol. And the hotel industry and unions have reached an extraordinary agreement to cut minimum work hours and suspend restrictions on duties to save jobs during the coronavirus crisis. The Australian Hotels Association and the United Workers Union successfully applied to suspend workplace rules in the hospitality award on Tuesday for up to three months as almost one million workers in the sector risk losing their jobs. The consensus position came as the hospitality industry led the sweep of job losses this week, with baristas and bartenders lining the streets outside Centrelink offices, and as economists forecast, the unemployment rate is set to more than double. Major hotels will be turned into quarantine zones and even hospital wards in an emergency plan that is also mobilising industry to fill looming shortages for medical equipment to fight the coronavirus. Hotels are demanding they be treated as essential services, with governments ordering community shutdowns, arguing they can make rooms available for health care or self-isolation. The head of Australia's largest private health insurer also predicts private hospitals will be required to treat COVID-19 patients amid concerns intensive care units and other health services will be overwhelmed. And that's it for this week. And next week, I'll be talking to Executive and Leadership Development Coach Ronan Leonard, who connects people up with his online platform, eCountability, the first global virtual mastermind platform. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering 
analysing Australia's unemployment figures and what the RBA is doing about it. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBizBLZ, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing Talking Business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 